Hey everyone, I just wanted to let you know that we created a Twitter. Uh, you can find us there at exp middle earth or you can find us on instagram at exploring underscore middle earth uh, links to both of those accounts will be in the description with that let's get on to the show Middle-Earth is a Lord of the Rings lore podcast where my friends and I talk all about Tolkien's works. Uh, my name is Jay, and uh, today with me is Grant. Hello. Zach, who's usually on this uh, podcast, is sick today, so it's just Grant and I today. But uh, today we're going to be covering the topic of Sauron, the second Dark Lord. Well, I'm going to start with the first age of Sauron. Uh, well, before the first age, he was originally a Maya of Alue. Is that right? Aule. Aule. Yeah. And uh, his name was Myron. So, uh, Grant, why don't you tell us what a Maya was? Uh, so, a Maya, along with uh, a Valar, uh, were, like, spirits, I guess, of the world. And they were considered by, like, men and dwarves and the elves to be basically gods. And Maya, compared to the Valar, were, um, were a little bit lesser. So they were not as great in power than as the Valar, but... Some of the Maiar that you might know are Gandalf, Saruman, even the Balrog is a Maiar. And Sauron was one of the um, most powerful of the Maiar. And, uh, and his name was Myron, like Jay said. And that meant in the, um, the Elvish language, the Admirable. So he was, I guess, he was a pretty, uh, he, he was a pretty nice Maiar, I guess. He's a pretty good guy at first, but um, mm-hmm. as, as we see later on, things go south pretty quick. Yeah, they probably know that. They No, I don't know. <laughs> well, we haven't told them yet. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, he was originally Maya, but um, he turned bad because he was uh, recruited by Morgoth, who you heard about in the last episode. So after Morgoth made his great fortress in Angband, which is in the northwest of Middle-earth, he appointed Sauron to be its commander. Uh, so Sauron right away just gets a high position. Boom. He worked his way up. Um, and, uh, I read, I can't remember where I read this, but it was something about how Sauron's original goal wasn't to be, um, led, but he wanted to lead, but he achieved it by starting out, uh, in a lower position and working his way up. Yeah. Which I think is just like a, people can relate to that. Like a regular old job. You you just join, you work your way up. The ladder and you get to the top just like Sauron did. So yeah. Sauron can be a big inspiration for all you guys, at, guys and girls at the office right yeah, now. Yeah, good role model for <laughs> yeah. all those uh, employees right now looking to make their way up. Yeah. You know, you never know. You stay in that job and you can yeah. be the next Dark Lord. Just so. think, what would Sauron do? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so he became the commander at uh, Angband, second in command to Morgoth. And um, in the last episode, we talked about Morgoth and uh, them fighting Fingolfin. But after the fall of Fingolfin, uh, Sauron launched an attack on uh, Tolsirion. Is that right? Yeah. Sirion? Tolsirion. Um, and utter fear descended over Ordreth. Yep, Ordreth. Yeah, Ordreth. And all those who defended the island. Um, and Sauron assailed Minas Tirith and uh, turned it into a watchtower for Morgoth. So uh, he's just working. That's just him working his way up the ladder because he's 
uh, showing his boss what he can do. So Sauron stayed there, and Tolsirion um, became Tol. Wait, I have this written down. Tol in Garahoth. Tol in Garahoth, which is the Isle of Werewolves. Yeah. Which uh, werewolves will be a big part of Tor- Toron Sauron's story. Um, and there's even a time where he becomes a werewolf, which is kind of yeah. cool. Oh. Yeah. So Morgoth ordered Sauron to find and kill Barahir and his companions. You heard a little bit about that last episode. Yep. Uh, where um, Morgoth was searching for them, couldn't find them, and then uh, Sauron eventually found them. And uh, this is part of Baron's quest. This is where Baron is hiding, or on the search out for uh, enemies, and uh, Sauron and the orcs are able to sneak up and kill Barahir and his companions, but they do not kill Baron. Um, so... Uh, so Baron, you know the story. Baron goes, sees this lady named Luthien, uh, and he wants to marry her, but he has to go get the Silmarils from uh, Morgoth, get one of the Silmarils. So he goes, and um, Finrod goes with him, and they have uh, some more companions. They leave Nargothron in search for the Silmarils, um, <clears throat> and they disguise themselves as orcs to uh, sneak through to get in. Uh, but Sauron stopped them because the orcs are supposed to report to him when they enter, the valley between, or the valley between Arid Withrin, yeah, and uh, wait, I have this one written down too. Uh, Tower Nufuin, Nufuin, mm-hmm. Tower Nufuin. So they have to report. They don't report, which I think is kind of cool because this is what uh, this is similar to uh, Frodo and Sam yeah. at the end of, or towards the end of uh, the third book when they put on the orc armor. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's pretty much the same thing they did, but. Uh, this one they failed, and so Sauron figured out wh- who they or that they weren't orcs. He didn't know who they were though. He didn't realize right away that it was Baron and his whole group and everything. So uh, they fight. They try to fight Sauron, but Sauron obviously wins. He's a lot more powerful. So he throws them all into a pit to be devoured by werewolves, and uh, all all of them get devoured except for Finrod and Baron at first, and then Finrod kills a werewolf, but he dies. Uh, while he's killing the werewolf, or a little bit after he kills the werewolf, from uh, wounds yeah. that he gets. So it's just Baron down there, um, and he's just stuck down there in a pit, has nothing to do. But then who comes along but Luthien? Oh. She comes, and she's singing. Uh, <laughs> we don't know what song she... Maybe we do. I don't know. I didn't check to see if they say what song she was singing. Um, no, I don't think I don't think they did. Yeah, do you have an idea of what song she'd sing, trying to save Baron? Um, I... I don't know. I, I feel like... A... No, you go ahead. Oh, I think you like, uh, um, you know, uh, that immigrant song by Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Ah! Just like coming up there. She's just singing that and Sauron just knows something's up. He's like, dang, yeah. I'm about to die. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> that's what I think. That's what I think she was singing. So she comes and starts singing. Uh, and uh, so she's in, uh, she's at Tolengaurhoth. Yeah. Um, and so she was singing there, and Sauron sees her. Well, he hears her and sees her. He's like, I got to capture her because I know who she is. So he sends one of his wolves to the bridge. Um, but the wolf was killed by uh, Huan, which is the Hound of Valinor. And he was a great wolfhound, one of the hunting dogs of Orme the Hunter. Orme's of Valor, right? Yeah. Yeah, so... He's one of the gods, pretty much. Yeah, so he's just, like, the bestest boy. He's a good yeah, dog. Good, yeah, good doggy. Good boy, good yeah. boy. So he fights the werewolf kills it or the wolf not werewolf this yeah. first one's a wolf kills it 
So Sauron keeps sending wolves, but uh, Huan keeps killing them because he's just super good at fighting. He's just yep. a good dog. So uh, Sauron sends his best werewolf, the sire of werewolves of Angband, uh, Draugluin. Um, and Huan and Draugluin fight, but it's a tough battle. But eventually Huan wins because Draugluin flees. But as he was fleeing, he told Sauron that Huan was there. So Sauron's like, I gotta take this into my own hands. Yeah. Or I gotta take this in my own paws. Because he turns into a werewolf. Yeah. The whole <laughs> um the whole legend behind Huan too is that um Huan can pretty much kill any wolf or dog out there and the only way that Huan will die or get bested is by the greatest of all werewolves. And so that's why Sauron originally sent out Draugluin because he was the father of all werewolves, so he thought that was the best one. Mm-hmm. But Jay's got something else he's gonna say. Oh yeah, because it turns out he uh, Sauron is the greatest of all werewolves. Yeah, because he turns himself into a werewolf, which um, this is uh, Sauron's furry moment where he <laughs> finally turns himself into a furry and finds his true inner self. So he <laughs> turns into a werewolf and he's like, I gotta go fight this uh, this dog. So he goes up to the bridge and uh, he goes to fight Huan to get Luthien. Um, so he was just a super scary werewolf because he's the best. He's the best of all of them. So uh, Huan doesn't attack right away and he recoils because he's scared. But Luthien uh, drew a magic veil over his eyes, uh, which fatigued him, and he was blind, which allowed Huan to uh, leap and attack him. Yeah. And so he was trapped in Huan's jaws after a long fight, and he couldn't break free. Um, so he turned himself into a snake, and that didn't help at all. He's, he's still in the jaws of the dog, mm-hmm. he's, but he's a snake now. So then he turns into his own shape, so back into what he was. Um, so they lay off, and then rather than uh, leaving leaving his physical form and turning into, uh, not into a physical form, I guess, yeah. just like something that Huan can't fight, um, he yields to Luthien, and he gives her control of the isle, um, the what is it called let me Tol see Tol and he gives her control of it and then he turns into a vampire and uh flees and uh he's just scaring everybody because he's yep. a vampire now which i think this is cool because um i don't think anywhere in at least i know for a fact nowhere in lord of the rings uh is there they talk about vampires and then i'm pretty sure they don't talk about werewolves no but they do talk about wolves but this is kind of a cool thing that just happens in this story where uh, Sauron turns into a werewolf and a vampire and a snake. And it just really shows how strong he is. He's just a, yeah, he's got a lot of magic. Yeah. He's got a lot of powerful magic. He's a magical man. Magical dude. Yeah. So after the war, Wrath... Um, in Which the, was the final war. Yeah. The before final. the first age ended. Yeah, so after that, Morgoth is destroyed, or the downfall of Morgoth, and he gets sent to the Void, which you heard about in last episode. Of course, of course. Um, so Sauron adapted a fair form because he was, uh, and he repented because he was scared of the Valar, what they would do to him, because no, he didn't, they weren't, like, in power. So Aonwe, uh, one of the Valar, uh, ordered Sauron to return to Valinor uh, in order to receive his judgment from Mer- Manwe. Which is another, which is the most powerful, which was, uh, uh, Morgoth's brother, right? Yep. Yeah, so Manwe and Morgoth were brothers. Um, so, but Sauron was too embarrassed. He didn't want to be humiliated that much. So he fled, uh, and hid in Middle-earth. And that's the end of the first stage of Sauron. Uh, that's, 
that's him working his way up the ladder and uh, making his way up to the top of the chain. But he doesn't. He does it by uh, not good ways. But he does no. it. <laughs> he's you know yeah, he's bad a bad guy. He's a very unethical yeah. worker. But he, yeah. he makes his way to the top. So that sometimes just shows you got to be unethical. But you probably shouldn't. So don't take my advice. Yeah, for don't that. <laughs> don't be unethical. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, yeah, in the first stage, Sauron really wasn't like like he was uh pretty powerful but mm-hmm. compared to Morgoth he wasn't that powerful yeah um so he was yeah he was just the lieutenant or captain or whatever he was pretty much the right hand man of Morgoth during that time but um yeah. well, I got a quick question before oh, okay. we move on um <laughs> so this was the first time we hear of Huan or I heard of Huan yeah the uh dog the or dog. the dog what happens to him cuz he doesn't die when uh uh, Sauron fights him. Yeah. So what happens to Huan? Because we don't hear about him in Lord of the Rings to the Hobbit. Well, okay, so like I said, um, Huan doesn't die unless it's at the, I guess, the jaws mm-hmm. of the greatest werewolf. Um, so that's actually part of the um, Baron's quest um, because we pre- you pretty much um, just talked about the part of Baron's quest which had Sauron in it, and mm-hmm. you didn't really need to explain further, but... Um, Baron and Luthien eventually, with Huan, they eventually do reach the gates of Angband, where Morgoth is, mm-hmm. and um, and the uh, the greatest of all werewolves is uh, uh, Karkaroth, mm. which means the Red Maw, and he is like one of the uh, pretty much one of the children of Draglun, which was the father of werewolves, and so he was actually the greatest of the werewolves. And, uh, cause technically Sauron was the greatest werewolf, but technically, or like he wasn't actually a werewolf. He was just a Maillard that turned into a werewolf. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, Huan, uh, spoiler, he does die. Oh no. Yeah. But, um, he also kills the greatest werewolf in the process and that allows, um, that allows, uh. Uh, Baron and Luthien because uh, the whole point of Baron getting the Silmaril was because uh, Luthien's father King Thingol of Doriath uh, he in order for this man Baron to marry his elven daughter he wanted a Silmaril for Morgoth's crown in order like kind of as a a wedding um, betrothal gift I guess like a dowry yeah like yeah. a dowry but the thing is is he thought that it wasn't possible because he's like, well, yeah, Baron's never going to marry her because that's impossible. But he ended up doing it and he ended up bringing the Silmaril back to Doriath. Um, and uh, Karkaroth actually bit Baron's hand off, <laughs> which was holding the Silmaril. And so technically Baron did bring it back to Doriath because Karkaroth followed him into the forest. And then that's when Huan and Karkaroth had their final battle. And Huan was injured to death, but he also killed Karkaroth. And then they took the Silmaril from Karkaroth's stomach. That's so, interesting. Yeah. So, is since Sauron in the werewolf form couldn't uh, defeat Huan, does that mean Karkaroth was more powerful than Sauron in the werewolf form? In the werewolf form, yeah. Okay. I would say so, yeah. But when Sauron's in his regular form, he's more powerful than yeah. Karkaroth? Yeah. Because um, I think, uh, I think, I mean, it's not really like confirmed or anything, but I'm pretty sure it has to do with like your physical form like i guess some sort of magic is limited depending on what form you take mm-hmm. but also i'm pretty sure werewolves and vampires are a type of Maiar, but they're just lesser in power than sauron mm-hmm. or gandalf um so that's why i think um sauron was more powerful but the werewolves and vampires also were Maiar. 
I'm yeah. pretty sure. But yeah, so um, we've still got the whole second age and third age that Sauron is in because he does not leave. Like yeah. like Jay was saying at the very end of the first age when um, when uh, Aonwe was going to uh, give him his judgment or whatever uh, in Valinor, mm-hmm. um, he decided to stay in Middle-earth because he was kind of scared of what they would say. And um, so, yeah, he ends up uh, fleeing into the far east of Middle-earth into a land called Rune, which literally in Quenya Elvish means east. So, uh, very original, good stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, so, now Sauron is pretty much the big bad of Middle-earth because Morgoth is gone. He's in the he's in the void now, awaiting his final judgment at the end of all time. And uh, so, Sauron is like, you know what, I think it's about... It's about high time for me to be the Dark Lord now. I mm-hmm. take matter in my own hands. Um, so about the um, the Second Age, uh, about the year 500 of the Second Age, so 500 years after the whole War of Wrath and Morgoth is defeated, you know, it gives the elves and men some time to, like, kind of uh, recuperate and uh, recover from all that. Um, Sauron begins to stir again in Middle-earth, and he begins to, like, build power and gather his strength and uh, build his form again. Is it kind of... It was kind of like the Rocky montage of when he's working out before the fight. It's yeah. Like, that's yeah. what he does for 500 years. Yeah, pretty much. Well, yeah, very, very long time. It's, just hits it's the like, weights. <laughs> it's pretty much all slow motion that's he, that he's doing it in. Yeah. So that's why it takes 500 years. Mm-hmm. But um, So by roughly the 1,000th year of the Second Age, so another 500 years, um, Sauron, he kind of makes his way back into the western middle earth where all the elves and men ended up settling and he's kind of alarmed by the the remaining might of the noldor in linden and Aragion, the two kingdoms of the noldor and uh, as well as the strength of uh, far off uh, island kingdom of numenor um and so he creates his own little stronghold kind of like angband except angband is now destroyed um but he creates his own like stronghold his own land called mordor <clears throat> which means in Sindarin Elvish, black land. Yeah. That's so, kind of cool. Yeah. Um, Mordor. 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 You can see the same element in uh, Gondor as well, the D-O-R. Uh-huh. Dor means land. Um, and so Mor means black, M-O-R. Like and, Morgoth? Yeah, like Morgoth yeah. means black foe. That's cool. Um, and then Gondor means stone land because it's very mountainous. Mm-hmm. So. Kind of like Colorado, like Stoner Land. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Colorado's Gondor. Yeah. Um, so, so he creates. Um, if you look at a map of Middle Earth, for those of you at home who have a book, or you can literally just look it up online, and you see Mordor, it's very interesting because most of the mountains there are like geogra- like somewhat geographically correct, you know, uh, like regarding I guess plates, like tectonic plates and all that sort of stuff, and the shifting of plates. But if you look at Mordor, it's weird because it's just kind of a boxed-in, like mountainous land. With it doesn't really make a lot of sense, but it's because Sauron, using his power and his magic and all that sort of stuff, he actually created those mountains in a big fence around the land so that it was protected on all sides by his enemy or from his enemies, um, which would later on be the men of Gondor and uh, the elves and stuff. So that's why it looks so weird and not really that natural, and that's why most of the mountains too are like made of ash and gross stone. I don't really know what. Is gross stone, but it's yeah. gross. So yeah, I'm not a big stone guy, but I know a gross stone when I see one. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so um, then he also begins in the land of Mordor to build his uh, dark tower, Barad-dûr, 
which I can't remember what that means. It means Tower of something. <laughs> mm-hmm. Tower um, of Bad. Probably Tower, Tower of Evil. Tower of Bad Stuff. Or no, I'll, Sauron. I'll look it up right you now. You look it up right now and I'll, I'll keep talking. I'll get back to you. Okay. Um, so in the second age of uh, 1200, so 200 years after he creates Mordor, um, Sauron, uh, he creates kind of like a little disguise for himself. Uh, and he appears fair, so he like looks like an elf, I would say. Um, and he clothes himself in like probably white just to make himself seem not evil. And he calls himself Anatar, which um, in Quenya means Lord of Gifts. So pretty much he goes around to the elves and he tries to make friends with them. And he, he is basically like, I come bearing gifts, sort of, that sort of thing. He tries to make friends with them. Um, but the uh, the elves of Linden, the uh, the the Noldor, oh my gosh, I just <laughs> I just messed it up. The Noldor under the uh, King Gilgalad, um, they kind of see through his lie and they kind of figure out that he's not. They don't know that it's Sauron, but they figure that he's not what he seems. That he's not all benevolent. Um, but the elves of Aragion, which is uh, led by uh, Celebrimbor. Um, who's the grandson of Feanor, who created the Silmarils. Yeah, he's a big deal. Um, yeah, big deal. So Celebrimbor, he wants to be like his grandfather in every way. He wants to be a very skilled um, smith, and he wants to be the best craftsman in all of Middle-earth um, to try and surpass his father. So Celebrimbor, he accepts Anatar's um, teachings, especially in the skill of crafting rings. And... Um, and there's a there's a whole like a, a guild of smiths in Aragion called Gwythi Merdine, which I'm pretty sure means something along the lines of guild of smiths or something like that. And um, so they all start uh, learning from Anatar, the Lord of Gifts, which is really Sauron, um, how to create like different like artifacts of power and especially rings. And um, about three hundred years later, after Anatar starts teaching them, the Gwythi Merdine. Uh, they reach the peak of their skill under Anatar, and that's when the rings of power are first forged. The the nine rings for the men and the seven for the dwarves, and there are also many other minor rings of power as well. You can hear more about this in our uh, Dominion of the Rings episode. Yeah. I think it's episode three. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's episode yeah, three. Yeah, so go back and listen to that if you want to know about, more about that story and all those rings. Oh, yeah. The rings and tings. Rings and tings. <laughs> rings and tings. So, uh, yeah, so the Rings of Power are forged in about 1,500 years into the Second Age. And uh, 90 years later after that, the three Elven Rings are forged by Celebrimbor. And this is without Anatar's knowledge. So Anatar doesn't know that they create three Elven Rings aside from the Rings of Power that they made. So this is why later on you'll see in like Lord of the Rings, this is why the Elven Rings, the three Elven Rings, are not actually directly tied to the One Ring. And so Sauron can actually corrupt those who wear the three elven rings because he doesn't know where they are, first of all. Mm-hmm. And um, they were never connected to his power. Um, so the three rings are uh, forged in that time. And then about ten years after that, Sauron forges the one ring in Orodruin, which is the it means Red Mountain. But that's actually what becomes known as Mountain Doom in the Lord of the Rings. Um, and he completes the Tower of Barad-dûr. Um, with the one ring the power of the one ring because he puts a lot of his um he puts a lot of his like his spirit and his malice and his evil and his magic into the one ring so that his life pretty much becomes tied with the one ring um so that if it's destroyed he pretty much dies or his you know that sort of thing oh uh baradur i looked it up means dark fortress dark fortress that's what it means yeah gotcha all right so um 
that's pretty fitting because yeah. it's in a dark place and it's, it's for the dark lords so. and it's a fortress it's a fortress yeah, yeah. And bada bing bada boom bada bing bada boom what can I say man yeah you gotta do yeah. what you gotta do I'm walking here <laughs> I'm walking I'm walking here you think when like Frodo and Sam were walking through Mordor like and they got captured by those orcs they're like hey I'm walking here <laughs> yeah that's probably what Baron and his dudes did when yeah. Sauron stopped him hey I'm walking here I'm walking here so uh <laughs> the one ring was made and with with its power um Sauron completed Barad-dur so that means also Barad-dur and anything that Sauron made with the One Ring was directly tied to the life of the One Ring. And we'll find out what that means later on for all of Sauron's creations and himself. Um, so, yeah, that happens. Yeah, <laughs> the, uh, big deal. The people who have, the elves who have the Three Rings are, um, are made aware of uh, Anatar or Sauron's treachery um, because when he puts on the One Ring for the first time, because... Even though the three elven rings weren't tied directly to the one ring, they were still made using the knowledge that Sauron gave them. And so when they were wearing their rings and Sauron put on the one ring for the first time, they could they could feel or like sense that Sauron betrayed them and that he wasn't actually good. It was Sauron instead of Anatar. And, um, and so then they prepare for war because they were pretty much just just a little pissed off. Yeah. You know. Hey, whoa, man, this is a kid-friendly podcast. Sorry, the, he was peed off. Peed off. He was PO'd. They urined off. Yeah. <laughs> Urinated off. Yo. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, um, about three years after that, um, oh, no, not three years, my bad, I read that wrong. Uh, 93 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> whoa. That's a different, that's a whole yeah, lifetime. a whole lifetime. Difference. Yeah, so there's a little bit of, a little bit of time passing, but to elves, let's just be clear, to elves, 93 years is not a long time. Yeah, Let, let's short. make this clear. Let's make right this here, clear. right now on the podcast, yeah. we're coming clean. I think I think about ninety years to um, elves is only about nine years actually, or it's nine months actually. My bad. So ninety years is nine months. Yeah. And what one year of human years is seven years of dog years? Are you trying to? Figure I'm out? gonna figure out how many <laughs> dog Wait, years that was. So nine, 90 years is nine months for for elves. For elves, yeah. So you can find all that information in the new uh, Nature of Middle Earth book. That's how I know that. So, oh, wow. yeah, wow. So it's crazy. So I'm probably gonna get this wrong. You keep talking. I'm gonna figure this okay. out. Okay, okay. So uh, in the in 1693 of the Second Age, uh, Sauron wages war on Aragion to gain the Rings of Power because now that everyone knows that he's evil and wants to become overlord of Middle Earth. He's going to try and get the rings back so that he can pretty much control all the people who wear the rings um, and have dominion <laughs> over, <laughs> over all of Middle-earth. Um, so, uh, but he can't find the elven rings, um, and uh, he, he knows that Celebrimbor made the elven rings. I'm not sure how he, was, he found that out, but um, they were hidden. Uh, Celebrimbor gave them away. Uh, two to Gilgalad, and he gave one to Círdan, and Círdan gave his to Gandalf way later on in the Third Age. Um, and then uh, Gilgalad gave another one to Elrond, and then Galadriel had another one. So there's three right there. Okay, so before you move on. Okay. So 90 years for elves. Yeah. Or 90 years for humans is. Uh, 90 years for humans is nine months for an elf. Yeah. 90 years for dog is. or for humans is 630 years for a dog. Wow. So. Um, let me see. 
How many months is in 630 years? 12 times 630. So that's 700, or 7,560 months. Divided by 90 months. So that would be 84. Okay, this isn't going to make any sense because <laughs> I don't know where I led this to, but 80. And so 9 months. 84 is what I came out with. Okay. That is, I don't know what that means. The, I don't know why I came out with this, but 84 is how many t- how many nine-month sections it would be for 600, for however many dog years it would be for 90 years <laughs> in human years. It was That's confusing. a lot. <laughs> Sorry. Um, okay. I just kept doing different equations, and, t- and I lost track of what I was doing. <laughs> um, I'm not good at math. That was good. Uh Thank you. Yeah, but just so you know, you know, it's just something they should, that's, they should include that in uh, the nature of Middle Earth. Yeah, they should have. How many? How many dog years that was? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so at this time in 1693, uh, Sauron is pretty much at war with uh, the elves of Aragion, and uh, now the elves of Linden under Gilgalad and Elrond, they're like, I guess we have to help out. <laughs> um, so, but actually in 1697, so four years later, Aragion is actually defeated. And pretty much laid waste by Sauron and his orcs. And Celebrimbor himself is actually slain by Sauron and tortured. Uh, And he's trying to find out where he hid the elven rings. Um, But Celebrimbor, uh, he stays true to the end, which is good. He kind of makes up for being a little bad boy. um, A little rebellious dude. You know, we all make mistakes. Yeah, he stays true to the end and he doesn't give up the locations, which ended up uh, being really helpful uh, later on in the Third Age when the elven rings were really needed. So... Good, good for you, Celebrimbor. If you're listening to this right now, Celebrimbor, uh, we respect you. Yeah, mad props, Celebrimbor. Mad props. Uh, so, um, so yeah, that, uh, that happens all in 1697 of the Second Age. Um, and two years later, 1699, Sauron now invades all of Eriador, which is the land uh, right next to Eregion, uh, which is pretty much all the land um, west of the Misty Mountains, pretty much where the Shire is and Rivendell is, all that sort of stuff. So Sauron is invading Eriador at this point, because now he's like, well, I took out the elves of Region, I might as well keep going and invade all of Eriador and take that as my own land. Um, he's getting greedy. He is. Um, and so Gilgalad, he calls for aid um, across the sea to Numenor, because they have had a connection before. They had uh, uh, people from Numenor would sail across to Linden, and they would talk. And So Gilgalad calls for aid, and... Finally, in the uh, year 1700 of the Second Age, um, Tar Minastir, uh, which I'm pretty sure means, um, if you look at uh, Minas Tirith and Minas Ithil, Minas means tower, or like citadel with a tower, and so Minas Tirith means tower of the guard, Minas Ithil means tower of the moon. Um, so Minas Tir means, I think, um, uh, like tower lord or something like that. I can't remember exactly, but it has tower in it, so that's all you need to know. <laughs> that's important. Um, so Tar Minister, uh, he hears the call for aid, and he sends over a large navy with an army on the ships as well, um, and they land in Eriador. I think, um, if you look on a map, I think it's at the the river Guathlo is where they land, um, and they had a port there at one point, the Numenorians did, so that's where they landed. And they um, they helped uh, repel Sauron's orcs and his uh, his army, and uh, actually in the year 1701 uh, they defeat Sauron and he's completely driven out of Eriador. So that's the end of that battle. Sauron didn't get super far, 
into Eriador. I think he got up to like, I'm pretty sure he got up to like the Barrow Downs or something like that. Um, and he was going to invade Rivendell, but um, the dwarves helped out with Rivendell and they got him out of there. So. That would have been bad if you got Rivendell. Yeah, so Sauron, Sauron was pretty close to uh, actually uh, taking over all of Eriador and the Lord of the Rings like the Shire and all that sort of stuff would have never been would have never been there because the hobbits would definitely have not gone there. Yeah, dang. If, if it was under Sauron's control. Good so. thing that didn't happen because then we wouldn't be here talking about Lord of the Rings if he took over Rivendell. Yeah. Right then, you're right. Because there wouldn't be a Lord of the Rings story. Yeah. Do you think Tolkien would be alive then? He'd be alive. He just wouldn't have written it because oh. there wouldn't be a story to write. No, I feel like you're wrong. Or maybe he would have written a different story. <laughs> oh, maybe. And we'd be talking about like. King of the Staffs or something. King of yeah. <laughs> King of the Staffs. Game of Thrones. Game of <laughs> Game of the Thrones. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, about a hundred years later, after that, because I mean, not much happens. Sauron is defeated, and uh, he pretty much doesn't really have a care in what happens in the West anymore. He's like, well, whatever. I already tried. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so he uh, that was that was before the quote. If at first you don't succeed, try try again. Yeah. He about, so he didn't know what to do. He didn't know that quote. Yeah. So he just was like, or oh, whatever. I guess I'm done. Um. So about a hundred years after that, he returns to the east into Rune. And uh, and into the south as well. And he gives out the rings of power that he had. He gives them out um, to the the men, especially of Rune, the Easterlings. And he begins corrupting them using the One Ring, and he enslaves the men. And they become his subjects, um, and they, um, they're now a part of his, I guess, his army, sort of, along with the orcs, um, but they're not technically under him, because they still have, like, their own kings and stuff, but... They're, like, freelance Yeah, workers. freelance, yeah, so, um... Freelance soldiers. Yeah, so, that's when he first gives out the rings of power, and, um, he gives them to, like, pretty much, uh, kings of men, and, uh, great warriors, and wizards, and all that sort of stuff, and these nine men that actually had those rings... Um, in the year 2251 of the Second Age, they first appear as the Ringwraiths, or the Nazgul. They were enslaved for so long by the Rings of Power that he gave to men that they their life became forfeit, and they became wraiths, and they became uh, Sauron's pretty much deadliest servants that he ever had. Um, and they were uh, very terrible and horrifying. Yeah, not good. No, not good. No, not good at all. They're scary in the movies, too. Yeah, they are. Those black riders. Yeah. They're spooky. And they give out their little screeches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't do it, and I'm not going to do it super loud, so. You can hear more about them in that Rings of Power episode. Yes, you can. As we talk about them. Yeah. Actually, it, stop listening to this right now, <laughs> and just listen to the other ones if I, you haven't. You can or, also, or you can finish this one. Yeah. It doesn't matter. We'll finish this one. Then go back and listen to that one. And then also listen to the Dragons episode because we talk about the things they fly on. What are those called? Oh, the Fell Beasts. The Fell Beasts. We yeah. talk about those in that episode. There's a, Hey, just listen to all of it, you know? They're all pretty good. Yeah. So, yeah, so uh, that happens in 2251. The Ringwraiths first appear in Middle-Earth. And that was not a good time for the people of Middle-Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know. Um, and then uh, it kind of skips ahead a little bit. Not much happens with Sauron. Uh until the very end of the Second Age. In the year 3310, our Farazon, who is um, considered, uh, I guess, among Numenorians, it's not really controversial over here, but controversially, he's considered the greatest king of the Numenorians. Um, but he pretty much took the scepter and the, the crown by force, and he married his cousin. <laughs> so mm. that's uh, interesting. Yeah, that's um, a... That's not a good way to yeah, start it. Yeah, because his, his cousin was the rightful queen, mm-hmm. but then he wanted to be the king, so he 
married her by force and then took the crown and he became king, so mm-hmm. not good. He's just setting himself up for failure. Yeah, he pretty much did. So he became really proud and he became really cruel and he had a big ego and he was like, you know what? I've heard of this Sauron guy in Middle-earth in Mordor and uh, he's he's been raiding some of my... Because Numenorians, like I said, had like settlements on the coasts of Middle-earth because um, they were an island kingdom so they obviously were shipbuilders and mariners and uh, so they had settlements on the coast, and uh, Sauron had been uh, raiding them here and there. Um, and then so our Farazon was like, you know what? He's been raiding my settlements. I'm going to go over there and give him a little lesson, you know? Mm-hmm. And give, so, a little, give him a little talking to. Yeah, so our, our Farazon goes to Middle-earth, and he uh, he sends a great army over there. And um, Sauron actually sees the army, and a lot of his orcs flee. Uh, because the army is so great and Sauron sees the army and he surrenders himself and he becomes uh, he willingly goes as a slave to Numenor under Arpharazon oh, wow. so that's how powerful Arpharazon was so he was a really powerful king but he just wasn't a good guy he, j- he wasn't all talk no he could walk the walk no he he was bark and bite yeah so he was all that take that into account um, so but actually uh, on the island kingdom of Numenor, Sauron, like it was in the first age, he started as a slave of Arpharazon, but he worked his way up within a few short years to become the right-hand man and the counselor and advisor to the king. And he, I mean, it wasn't good counsel or good advice, yeah. but he would pretty much uh, feed him lies and deceit, and it would pretty much poison Arpharazon's mind and make him believe things that weren't actually real. It's kind of like Wormtongue. Yeah, like Wormtongue, Grima Wormtongue. Yeah, Wormtongue. Uh, to King Theoden, yeah. was like a wannabe Sauron. He pretty much was. He probably had, like, posters of Sauron in his room growing up. He's like, I'm gonna be like that guy. It's not a phase, Mom! <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, that happens within a few short years. He becomes the right-hand man, and he also, tells him lies. Yes. Um... Why would a king not realize that a person with the last name Wormtongue is a bad guy? That's what I was wondering when I first yeah, read Lord of the well, Rings. Well, I think that was just a name given to him by, um, like, Gandalf and, like, some men that were outside of the king's courts. Because I don't think Theoden... I think that was just a nickname, right? So I don't think mm-hmm. Theoden actually called him Wormtongue. Um, but I think it was just something that Gandalf and a few other people use, like Aomer and Eowyn. I was just thinking that'd be like a big red flag when yeah. you're choosing your right hand man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, your name's Wormton? Yeah. Cool, yeah. I'll choose you. We got like Todd Smith and Grima Wormtongue. <laughs> Todd Smith. <laughs> Todd Smith and Grima Wormtongue. I'm going to uh, go with the Wormtongue. Wormtongue sounds like a good yeah. guy. <laughs> so uh, after Sauron tells Arpharazone a lot of lies, um, uh, he he convinces Arpharazone to worship Melkor, who we know as Morgoth, the first Dark Lord, oh, no. um, because he said he's the Lord of Darkness, and out of darkness the world was made. Um, so he said you should be worshipping Melkor, not the Valar, because the Valar don't, didn't do nothing. They're mm-hmm. just here to keep you away from Valar, cause, er, Valinor, because there, there was a ban on the Numenorians that they couldn't, because they're not immortal, they couldn't sail so far west that they couldn't see the shores of their land anymore. Mm-hmm. And so Sauron convinces them that they're just trying to keep you away from the undying lands where you can be immortal, which is not true. He was mm-hmm. saying why. Um, but he was saying, you know what, you should worship Melkor, offer human sacrifices to him, because that's something that's good. 
Um, mm. and, and then finally, he persuades the king, Arpharazone, to invade Valinor with an army and take the Undying Lands for himself and become the mightiest king there ever was. Oh, wow. And, you know, Arpharazone at this time was like, yeah, you know what? I will. Because Arpharazone was nearing the end of his life, and he was like, well, I want to be immortal, so I might as well take the Undying Lands like Sauron said. I mean, what has he got to lose? Right, yeah. Yeah. So um, I mean, we would all make that decision. Yeah. So actually, I, there is something to note, too. Uh, I didn't say this earlier, but uh, Sauron wasn't called Sauron on Numenor. Um, he was called uh, Zigur. Zigur. Uh, which means, in the uh, the language of the Numenorians, which is Edunaik, uh, it means wizard. Oh, wow. um, so they thought he was a wizard? Yeah. So Sauron so. called himself Tar Myron, but there's a whole thing in Numenor that, like, especially at the end when... Uh, the Numenorians started hating the elves. They couldn't use the elvish language, so instead of being called Tar Myron, which meant Lord uh, Excellent or something like that, mm-hmm. which is what Sauron called himself. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's just like being like, cool dude is my yeah. name. <laughs> um, uh, they started calling him Zigor, which meant um, uh, wizard. So, mm. what? I don't know if you already said this. What physical form is Sauron in? Sauron, right I now? think at this point, I think he is. I think he looks like an elf or a man at this point. I think mm-hmm. he, like, somewhat like he looked when he was Anatar, Because mm-hmm. he wanted to seem like he was at least, like, a good person to the mm-hmm. Numenorians. Because if he was wearing his, like, black armor that yeah. you see in The Lord of the Rings, I don't think they'd be like, yeah. Yeah, I was just what? thinking that if he was in that, like, black armor, <laughs> yeah. super big, yeah. they'd be like, you know what, you can be my right-hand man. Yeah, well, like you were saying, in the first age, he could change shapes yeah so like he was a werewolf a vampire a snake so he could do that with himself too he could look like an evil dark lord or he could look like a good elf so that sort of thing no i was just thinking about this why couldn't he just turn himself or make his physical form to look like our Farazone and kill our Farazone and then just be our Farazone? that is really interesting i yeah. don't know why well, he could have just done that I don't know, maybe maybe Tolkien never thought about that, or maybe he had his reasons not to do that, I don't know. But, it's um, kind of like the, why didn't the eagles just drop the ring, fly over and drop oh, the there's, ring? Oh, there's a good reason for that. Yeah, so there's, I was going to yeah. say, there's probably a good reason why yeah. Tolkien didn't have him. We can, uh, I mean, if you listeners out there have any, like, theories that you want to, like, test out and you want to tell us, we, we always have, like, our email, uh, mm-hmm. which will we'll let you know during the ad break um we always have our email instagram let us know if you have any theories and we can go over them in an episode one day. yeah that'll be in the description yeah the pod or what's it called show notes that's what it's called. show notes in the show notes that's just showbiz baby yeah 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 so uh um in the year 3319 so this is about yeah like nine years yeah nine years after sauron goes over to numenor um, our Farazone prepares his army to invade Valinor, and when he lands on the uh, the Undying Lands, um, the Valar up in their mountain palace, they call to Eru Iluvatar, which is the one god who created everything, and Eru sinks Numenor, the island. And Sauron is still on Numenor at the time. He didn't go with our Farazone to the Undying Lands. And the army of Arpharazone on the Undying Lands actually gets swallowed up in the earth. Like a big chasm opens up underneath them and they all fall in. And then it closes back up. So they're all pretty much down, down in the depths of the earth. Yeah. And then uh, Numenor sinks under the water. And it's actually Tolkien's version of Atlantis. That was his whole uh, thing. It's actually called like the Tale of Atalante. I think it means uh, in Quenya, Elvish. So there's very obvious um, connections to Atlantis there. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and then 
and even the uh, the Numenorians were also called the Sea Kings, which were kind of like what the Atlanteans were called. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sauron, when the island sinks, um, his body, his physical body, is destroyed because obviously he's not like he can't just like fly in his physical form, mm-hmm. but as a spirit he can escape. So his body is destroyed. He leaves it behind underwater. And then his spirit goes on and he returns back to Mordor in Middle-earth. He could have also turned into a fish if he wanted and swam back. I guess so. I don't know why he doesn't do these things. Yeah, why didn't he turn into like a minnow or something? Well, it might have been easier probably too as a a spirit. It probably would have been faster to get back to Middle-earth, whereas a fish it might have taken a while because Numenor was pretty far out Mm -hmm. at sea. But um, So actually some of the Numenorians too, um, there were two different groups of Numenorians. Some were called the Kingsmen, and they were the most numerous, and they were the ones who supported our fair zone. And they hated the elves, they, um, they wanted to go to the Undying Lands, they listened to Sauron, and they worshipped Melkor. And they ended up settling in the coasts of um, the places called Umbar or Far Harad, and uh, they became known as the Black Numenorians because they followed the black worship of Melkor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other group was less numerous, and they were called the Faithful because they still believed in the Valar, and they respected the Ban, and um, they still used the Elvish language. And uh, so the leader of this group, was his name was Elendil, and he brought his two sons with him and a bunch of their people over on a bunch of ships, and uh, that was Isildur and Anarion. And um, so they, uh, they established the kingdoms of Arnor and Gondor in Middle-earth because they left before the island sank. They didn't go with Arpharazone because they didn't trust him. Um, so they left and established the realms of Arnor and Gondor in Middle-earth. And um, they became Sauron's prime enemies in the coming Third Age. And um, so one, once Sauron's body returned to Mordor, or his uh, spirit, uh, he restored his physical body because now uh, he left the One Ring behind in Barad-dûr. And so now he put the One Ring back on. And... Um, and he became he got his physical body back again and this time he appeared evil um, because he was no longer trying to deceive anyone so he's like new year new me new year new me uh and he became super buff yeah <laughs> he lost a lot of weight became really yeah, buff and he posted a ton of like mirror selfies where he's flexing in yeah. the gym rise yeah. and grind yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, rise and grind <laughs> which is the name of his hammer so yeah. or that's Morgoth's hammer but yeah Hey, it's okay. Bro. It's okay, man. It works. Yeah, it worked. Uh, so, um, in the year 3429, so this is about 100 years later after that, uh, Sauron, because now he's built his power back, um, he attacks the realms of Gondor uh, and Arnor. Well, not Arnor yet, but he attacks Gondor, and he captures the city of Minas Ithil, which is the Tower of the Moon. And that's actually the city that Isildur uh, was in charge of, because... If you look at the names Isildur and Ithil, Manas Ithil, they have the same root word, Isil and Ithil, which literally means moon. Um, so that's why it was called Manas Ithil, because it was named after Isildur. Mm-hmm. Um, so Isildur escaped the city because it was captured by Sauron's forces, and he had the white tree um, of Gondor in that city, and he brought it to Manas Anor, which was uh, under the control of Anarion, which Anarion means like sun something and then Manas Anor means Tower of the Sun so mm-hmm. it was also named after him um, this guy got a lot of stuff named after him yeah that's been cool They're pretty cool <laughs> so he brought he brought the white tree to Anar, uh, Manas Anor uh, which later becomes Manas Tirith and that's why there's a white tree in the the court 
that you see. So that's the same white tree. Um, so anyway, so Isildur, he, then he returns to his father, Elendil, who has his kingdom in the north, in Arnor. And he tries to convince his father to uh, make an alliance with the elves of Linden, Gilgalad, and uh, uh, Rivendell with Elrond so that they can attack Sauron and get rid of him. And so that's when they make the War of the Last Alliance. And that was the last alliance of elves and men that were ever to be again. Um, and especially because the elves were starting to dwindle after that and they were starting to go uh, sail over west to the Undying Lands where they could only get to, only the elves could get to. Uh, they started leaving Middle Earth because it just it was pretty much their time to be done in Middle Earth, um, and so that was the last alliance of elves and men, and that uh, was formed in thirty four thirty, so a year after Sauron captured Minas Ethel, and um, the last alliance formed, and it was formed between the elves of Lothlorien, so Celeborn and Galadriel's elves, and uh, the elves of Rivendell and Linden, and then it was between Gondor and Arnor as well. So they all crossed the Misty Mountains, and they made their way southwards, and they stopped at this big uh, like plateau plain, this grassland in front of Mordor, and um, that eventually be called, uh, became called Dagorlad, which literally means battle plain, and they had a big battle there, and uh, a lot of the um, dead people uh, that they piled up at the end of that battle um, they kind of like stayed and like rotted in the same area and eventually that place became the dead marshes because a bunch of water came in there is and that where frodo and sam and uh gollum go when they see the faces yeah that's the same it's okay. called the dead marshes because okay. that's the remnants of the dead bodies from that battle like three thousand years ago but it, they're only still there because sauron pretty much made them stay there that's crazy yeah that's crazy how like deep the lore is because you yeah. see that in the movie you're reading it in the book and you're just like oh that's like that's uh, creepy but creepy, you but don't know what it's from story yeah. behind it well even Gollum mentions in the story when they're passing through the dead marshes he said there was a battle a long time ago in the plains and these are all the the dead elves and orcs and men from mm -hmm. it um so yeah um so the, those become the dead marsh. So they, uh, the last alliance of elves and men, they actually defeat Sauron on Dagorlad, the plain, and they push him back into Mordor, and he retreats to his tower, Barad-dûr, and that's when they start sieging the tower. Um, so they pretty much have the upper hand at this point, so they do have a more powerful army. And uh, Gilgalad and Elrond, and um, especially Elendil and Isildur, they are very powerful warriors and very great captains. And so they lead their armies easily to victory and so finally in um in 34 34 of the second age um or my bad that was what i just did i'm so sorry it's, hey it's okay um in 34 41 gotcha okay it's just like sauron you made a mistake i made a mistake <laughs> uh sauron um he uh enters into combat with gilgalad and elendil and elendil has his sword which is called narsil and um gilgalad has a spear called Iglos. And none, none of the orcs or any of Sauron's servants could withstand those two weapons. And so Gilgalad and uh, Elendil actually came out to Sauron and they battled together. And Sauron actually killed both Elendil, the high king of Arnor and Gondor, and he killed Gilgalad, the high king of all the Noldor and the elves. Um, but Sauron was actually uh, mortally injured as well, and he was really close to dying. And Isildur came up, and he avenged his father, and he took the broken shards of Narsil, his sword, 
uh, his father's sword and he cut off Sauron's finger that had the one ring on it. He took the one ring for himself as kind of like a price for his father's death. And then um, because the one ring was taken from Sauron, Sauron's physical body vanished and his spirit went away into the east again where he had a lot of his followers. And this is what you see at the start of the Fellowship yeah, of the Ring Yeah, this movie. is what happens at the very beginning, the little backstory there. Um, so that's when, yeah, so his, his spirit retreats back into the east and now Sildur has the one ring. And um, uh, so that's, that's the end of Second Age Sauron. Uh, that, that's when the Second Age actually ends is when Sauron... Um, well, there's like a few years in between that, but pretty much the very end of the Second Age is when Sauron mm-hmm. is defeated, and then Isildur uh, takes the ring. Yeah, so that's a lot of character development. A lot of Sauron. character, yeah, yeah, a lot of character development. Uh, but there's still plenty more to go, and I think it would be good if we took a little ad break. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see you guys after the ad. Hey guys, this is an ad, if you can believe that. Um, so if you guys like what we're doing on this show, um, I think you might like the Production Specialist Podcast. Jay, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what they are? Uh, no. Can please? Uh, sure, I guess. Uh, the Production okay, Specialist. Po- please don't talk over me. The Productions. <laughs> the Production Specialist Podcast explores the professionals that are part of the film's production. Um, why don't you take a listen to their intro and hear more? Well, if you're going to have an attitude, I don't think I will. Well, you're going to hear it because I'm playing it in three, two, one. No, 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 one. no, no, no. In our modern day lives, we are constantly bombarded with visual and auditory stimuli. May they be ads, films, interviews, series, you name it. But have you ever wondered how projects like these are ever created or who was involved? Don't worry, we're here to change that. My name is Lorenzo Elin, and I'm the host of The Production Specialist, a podcast series of personal accounts from individuals and companies in emerging and frontier production industries. In each episode, we chase the hidden stories of production professionals and their experiences in the production industry. In episode one, we caught up with Connie Grayson from Legacy FX about her work with Jason Momoa from the Quicken Loan Super Bowl ad of 2020. Studio made a bunch of bald caps to put on top of his head and then the wigs on top of that, and none of the bald caps fit. And he has a gigantic head. Ah, whoops, Uh, sorry, Jason. Or with Academy Award-winning makeup artist, Matthew Mungle, and his experiences with fake blood and CSI. A blood film. (laughs) Not my favorite, not my favorite at all. Or with YouTube sensation and director Joey Lever with 60 million views on a Spider-Man fan films. We, we took we took a few elements from the games, TV series and everything, just merged it into one. And then everything else was our ideas. Our goal is to explore every nook and cranny that is part of production, from cinematographers all the way to sound designers. Subscribe to the Production Specialist right here for bi-weekly episodes and soon to be weekly episodes. And if you're already subscribed, Tap the share button and share it with someone who you think would enjoy learning more about the production industry. Uh, so, yeah, welcome back from the ad break. Um, yeah, I so, hope you enjoyed the ad. Yeah. Uh, Thank yeah. you for sticking around. <laughs> Uh, well, Grant's going to start us off with the Third Age of Sauron. Yeah, so the Third Age started with um, uh, Sauron uh, 
leaving Mordor because he was defeated by the last alliance of elves and men. Um, and Isildur actually, he took the One Ring, but he lost it in the Gladden Fields, which were a bunch of marshes upon the Anduin River. Um, and that was because he was actually ambushed by orcs, and the ring betrayed him and left him, and he became visible while he was wearing, or he was invisible while wearing it, and then it left his body, and then he became visible. The orc shot him, and he died. And um, you know how that goes. That's you know just something that happens. Yeah. You know. Um, and so uh, the one ring was pretty much lost for uh, thousands of years, and um, Sauron was actually because of the devastating defeat. Um, he was not able to take a physical form for pretty much a thousand years. There wasn't like a really set rule, but he just didn't have the power. It's an unwritten rule. An unwritten rule. Mm-hmm. Once you get defeated pretty badly, you just can't take a physical form. No anymore. physical forms. He's, he's in timeout. Yeah. Um, but while he was in the East in, in spirit form, he was actually still, he still had power over the Easterlings. And, um, and so even the Easterlings during this time, uh, they were under his control and they would attack Gondor and Arnor a little bit. And especially the lands of Rovanion, uh, where a bunch of these people called the Northmen lived, which are the ancestors of the Rohirrim and the people who lived on Lake Town. Um, so the Easterlings would attack a lot of these people because they were actually moved by the spirit of Sauron to do that. So he was still, he was still around. He was still terrorizing, uh... Uh, mm-hmm. Western Middle Earth. He was just laying low. A little. Yeah. Um, so actually, by the Third Age, the year 1000 of the Third Age, um, Sauron is able to take shape again. And this time he begins to send a shadow across the east and into uh, even into Greenwood the Great, which is the largest forest of Middle Earth. And um, so the Valar um, notice this, uh, that he's returning. Um, and they are actually alarmed by how fast his strength is returning. Um, and so they send out five Maiar uh, from Valinor to aid the, um, the free people uh, in the battles that are coming up against Sauron. Um, and these would become known as the Astari. And so you can listen to that actually, like we said in the, I think that's the second episode? Yeah, Astari Party. Party. Yeah. That's all about the wizards, Gandalf, Saruman, Radagast, and the two blue wizards. Uh, those were the five emissaries that were sent to help out uh, against the battle with Sauron. Um, and so they were sent in the year 1000. And they uh, they ended up coming, um, I think, in the Grey Havens. So that's where they first arrived. But anyways, that's not super important right now. Yeah, This is about Sauron. Yeah, listen to that episode after you listen to yeah. episode 3. So go this episode, <laughs> then episode 3, then episode 2. And then do 1, 4, 5... And then you're all caught up. It honestly also could just be up to you. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But and then if, if you're listening to the episode and we have more after, then listen to those too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just do what you want, but you got to listen to them all. That's do, part yeah, of it. Yeah, do what you need to. Yeah. Do what yeah. you got to. Uh, so about 50 years later, after the uh, the wizards, the Astari, were sent to Middle-earth, um, Sauron uh, takes a ruined hill fort, once known as Amon Lank, uh, which was the capital of the Sylvan Elves, who later went north and became the Elves of Mirkwood, as seen in The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was their old capital city, and because the shadow spread across Greenwood, which is the forest, they went north, and so that's why they're not there anymore. So Sauron takes their ruined hill fort, and he uh, names it Dol Guldur, which means the Hill of Sorcery, and he names himself the Necromancer. Hey guys, uh, before we move on, I got a little surprise for you. 
Now, I know he said Zach was uh, not feeling good and he wasn't part of this episode, but I got a little treat for you guys. Uh, this is Zach talking about Dogal Dur, uh, just a location he did some research on and didn't want you guys to miss anything about it. So, uh, here he is talking about it. Hey everybody, it's your favorite Lord of the Rings idiot Zach here with a bit of a fun fact. I wanted to talk a little bit about Dol Guldur, which is actually one of my favorite places in Middle-earth. Not only because it's this cool, misty, ruined fortress with an ancient history, as many places in Middle-earth tend to have, uh, but I also had the Lego set, and it was rad. And I think that Dol Guldur is uh, really fun to say. Like, try saying Dol Guldur ten times fast. It's not terribly hard to do, but it sounds pretty funny. So... Dol Guldur was built on the hill called Emon Lank, which means Bald Hill, um, which is in the south of Mirkwood. Sauron, of course, occupied it somewhere after the year 1000 of the Third Age, um, when he had returned under the disguise of the Necromancer, concealing his true identity. But long before that, it was the capital of the Sylvan Elves, led by Orifer, father of Thranduil, who, as some may know, was the father of Legolas. The Sylvan Elves fled north to the Black Mountains, which would become known as the Mountains of Mirkwood, um, sometime after Sauron's return from the downfall of Numenor. Um, but that's all I have. I hope you enjoyed that bit of lore about Dol Guldur. I wish I knew how to end a segment, but uh, there's no one here really to carry the conversation forth. So I'm just going to tell Jay, hey, segment's over, so uh, you can cut back to you guys talking like professionals now. Uh, yeah. Bye. Wow, what a treat. Thank you, Zach, for that segment on Dougal Door. Now we're going to get you back to the regularly scheduled program. And he names himself the Necromancer. Ooh. Oh, yeah. oh, do you remember my the pun I looked up in the... Oh, I think it was the Astarte Yeah, it was something about, like, uh... Why... Why did the wizard have hickeys over his all over him? And it's something like that. And it's he like, was a necromancer. Yeah, he was a necromancer. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, so uh, as as the necromancer, he terrorizes the lands of Rovanion and uh, Greenwood the Great, and you know all the all the lands around, and um, and the shadow deepens upon the forest of Greenwood, and it becomes uh, known to the people around it as Mirkwood. Mm -hmm. so that's when it first becomes that um so greenwood mirkwood it's the same thing but mirkwood is just because it had a uh evil in it because of sauron and the name even makes it sound like compared to greenwood yeah mirkwood's mirkwood. just like gross and yeah swampy gross that's what i yeah. think of. um and so there's actually um a group of people in middle earth that are known as the wise and these were pretty much just very obviously wise uh of the astari first of all and the elves um so this would be people like um uh elrond uh Caliborn and galadriel radagast saruman uh gandalf they were considered the wise um they knew a lot of what was happening in mm -hmm. middle earth um so they were actually um they thought that the necromancer was one of the nazgul the ringwraiths that uh, had just returned from the east after the war um but in the year 1300 of the Third Age, Sauron's power grew even stronger in Dol Guldur, and many evil things began to wander about, such as the orcs or the goblins of the Misty Mountains, like you see in The Hobbit as well. Mm -hmm. uh, they became strong only because Sauron was returning to strength. 
um, the dragons of the north began to be uh, began to be more active. So there was the whole war between dragons and dwarves. That was only because Sauron was active again. Mm -hmm. uh, Smaug as well. That's why Gandalf wanted so badly to get rid of Smaug because that would have been Sauron's like a, a great ally for Sauron to have. Mm -hmm. um, and even the Nazgul started returning. So that's when um, Gandalf starts realizing, well, maybe. Maybe it's not just a Nazgul. Maybe it is the chief of the Nazgul, um, the king of the Nazgul. And so um, the Nazgul return, and they establish a realm in Angmar. And the chief of those Nazgul became known then as the Witch King of Angmar. Mm -hmm. And so that's the and in, in the movies and stuff. That's the um, that's the ringwraith you see with that like weird like spiky crown. Mm -hmm. That's the one that Merry and Eowyn kill. That's the Witch King of Angmar. Mm -hmm. Um, Angmar, I think in Elvish means Iron Home. Um, I'm not really sure why, but it's called Iron Home. So that's just thought that was, yeah, yeah just thought that was interesting. Um, so Angmar actually succeeded in collapsing the petty realms of Arnor. So Arnor, long, long years past the, um, the, uh, the War of the Last Alliance, it actually started crumbling and there was a lot of like, um, there's like a lot of little battles between like kings and stuff and the king of Arnor um his like I don't remember what king it was but when he died and he had three sons they each wanted the kingdom for themselves and so each one took their own land in Arnor and so it got split into three different kingdoms one of them was Arthodain which the line of Isildur was kept through there um and the true king of Arnor was the true king of Arthodain and then there was also the kingdom of Cardolan and the kingdom of Rudaur. And so uh, Angmar, under the witch king of Angmar, they actually succeeded in destroying uh, those petty realms um, because they were pretty weak. They were uh, yeah, pretty petty. Yeah, pretty petty. Um, and so they uh, once they defeated them and they just became the Dúnedain of Arnor, pretty much just became the rangers as we know them now, um, which Aragorn is one of them. Um, then the Nazgul go back to Mordor and they retake Minas Ithil and they name it Minas Morgul, which means um, uh, the Tower of... Uh, Morgul means black sorcery, but I think they call it something else. I think they just call it Tower of Sorcery. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so that's when it becomes Minas Morgul and it becomes that like green, ghastly fortress tower that yeah. you see in the uh, two towers, I think. I think so. Uh, yeah, you know, I, yeah, I've slept through the movies. No, so I think so. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't tell you. I just read the book, so I should, I should know. Yeah, yeah, but um, so yeah. Oh, how was it? How was the book? Oh, it was good. You liked it? Yeah. Maybe I'll check it out. Yeah, you probably should. Yeah, I'll probably read it eventually. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um. So uh, and then the reason they took that back is because they wanted to prepare the way for Sauron to return back to Mordor, mm -hmm. and they wanted to kind of secure a passage for him. And also at the time, too, because Sauron, uh, his strength was returning in Mirkwood, and it was so close to the Misty Mountains, a Balrog that had fled from the First Age into um, the Misty Mountains and had slept there, um, he awoke in the depths of Moria, and all the dwarves that were living there all fled. And uh, the Balrog was called Durin's Bane because it killed uh, one of the kings there named Durin. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so, actually, there's a... There's an interesting thing to note. Uh, a Balrog is a Maiar, just like Sauron, just like Gandalf. Mm -hmm. And um, it was, a lot of people are like, oh, the Balrog is one of Sauron's servants, and he was out to, like, kill the Fellowship of the Ring. Mm -hmm. um, 
Sauron did not know that the Fellowship of the Ring was passing through Moria, and he also, he knew there was a Balrog, but I don't think Sauron did not have control over the Balrog because the Balrog and Sauron were actually considered equals, so there was no way that Sauron had power over the Balrog. Because Balrogs were servants of Morgoth, right? Yeah, Balrogs and Sauron were almost almost equal counterparts mm-hmm. in the eyes of Morgoth. The only reason Sauron was a little better is because he was just the lieutenant of mm-hmm. Morgoth, they, but they had pretty much equal power. Yeah. Um, but the Balrogs were all pretty much confined to one fiery physical shape. So, um, yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> There was the Balrog in Moria, and then he stayed in Moria after all the dwarves fled, and a bunch of orcs started going into the Misty Mountains in uh, Moria in in the north. And uh, so fast forward a little bit, Third Age 2060. um, The wise, like I said, Gandalf, Galadriel, Elrond, all those people, they were alerted that all of these evil occurrences, like I said, the dragons, the orcs, Balrog, uh, the Nazgul, they all found their source in Dol Guldur, and Gandalf feared that Sauron himself was returning and that it was not the Witch King of Angmar. And so in 2063, three years later, Gandalf entered Dol Guldur, uh, the ruined fortress, but Sauron fled before him, uh, not because he was scared, but because he didn't want to reveal yet that it was Sauron that had returned. Well, that he, just sounds like an excuse. He probably was yeah, scared. Yeah, he was probably yeah, scared. But like, he just wanted to kind of keep it all under wraps. He wanted to be secret about like, it. No, guys, I'm not scared. Yeah. I meant to do that. <laughs> no. <laughs> I did that on purpose. Hey, no. I was just gone for a second. Yeah. Uh, but he went back into the east um, to avoid being seen. And uh, while while that happened, there was a period called the Watchful Peace. And so um, it was pretty much a, a tense peace because, like, a lot of... Gondor and everyone was on the watch because they were afraid that Sauron would attack at any moment, but he was also gone at the time, so it was peaceful for a short time. And he was busy in the east recruiting more Easterling tribes and all that sort of stuff to fight for him. Um, So about 400 years later then, uh, Sauron returned to Dol Guldur um, after time, and he returned as the Necromancer again. And... um, Three years later after that, the One Ring is actually coincidentally found by Deagle, the store hobbit, and is taken by force by Smeagol, who becomes Gollum. Um, so I think that's kind of a, a fun, like, little, little coincidence. Because Sauron returned to that area, then the One Ring was found because the One Ring was trying to get back to its master. Mm-hmm. Because, like I said, Sauron put a lot of his spirit into the One Ring, so the One Ring was trying to get back. And that's how Smeagol, or Deagle, actually ended up finding the One Ring. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, pretty interesting. Yeah. Yes, the ring has its own will. That yeah. was something we talked about in the episode that like still makes me think a lot about the yeah. ring can do what it wants. They could take care of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, I know. That was funny. I like um, that. Yeah, so uh, it was found by, or it was taken by Smeagol, and he eventually brought it into the Misty Mountains and became Gollum. Yeah, we all um, know how that goes. Yeah, we know how that goes for sure, for sure. Uh, but fearing and sensing imminent danger, the wise uh, formed the White Council, and they made their chief of the White Council Saruman because he was very uh, wise and learned in the way of um, Sauron. Like he knew a lot of his like beginnings and the like the lore of the Rings of Power and stuff like that. So they made him the chieftain because he knew a lot about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and around 2475, about 10 years later, Sauron sent many of his orcs into Moria, like I said, and in the Misty Mountains, and also in Athelion so that they could secure important passages between different lands so that he could easily invade uh, different places. Um, but Gandalf uh, 
quite a bit later. Uh, he This is after Smaug first takes over Erebor and all the dwarves flee. Um, and so uh, Gandalf in the year 2850, um, he again enters Dol Guldur and he finds the dying dwarf king Thrain who is Thorin's father, Thorin Oakenshield's father mm-hmm. um, and Thrain was it was because um, he had one of the dwarf rings of power and the dwarf ring of power was also trying to get back to Sauron so Thrain just wandered into Dol Guldur and he was captured by the necromancer and he was tortured and um, that's how Thrain or that's how uh, the necromancer Sauron got the last of the dwarf rings and that's also how um, uh, Gandalf learned that it was Sauron, mm-hmm. um, because uh, Thrain, I guess, learned when he was being tortured, like he must have revealed that he was Sauron. Um, so Thrain told Gandalf that that was Sauron and not anything else. And so Gandalf told Saruman this in the the White Council. But Saruman, at this time, he started getting ideas of his own that he wanted the One Ring, mm-hmm. and so Saruman was like, eh, "We're not going to attack Dol Guldur yet." Um, because I might want to do something with that. Mm-hmm. So between the years 2850 and 2941, there's not a lot that happens other than Sauron finds out that the One Ring was lost by Isildur in the Gladden Fields by the Anduin River, and he begins to search there. And Saruman is also searching there as well because he knows about that. Um, and uh, now that Saruman realizes that Sauron is going after the One Ring, then he's like, okay, yeah, we should probably attack Dol Guldur, get rid of Sauron, so then secretly he could keep looking for the Ring in Peace. Yeah. Um, so that's why, uh, like, you'll see it in like the Hobbit movie. They did a inter- they did an okay version of that. I mean, it wasn't really part of the book, but um, they the White Council attacked Dol Guldur, got rid of the Necromancer, and he went back to Mordor actually. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, wait, so if that's not in the Hobbit book, where is that? It's nowhere. Well, I mean, it's like in it's in like the appendices, I think, like where they say that that happened. Yeah, okay. like in the timeline or something like that. Oh, okay. Because it's not actually in the book, but it was like I think Tolkien said, because The Hobbit was originally just a standalone book, right? He yeah. didn't have anything to do with anything. It didn't have anything to do with the plot of the Lord of the Rings or with the Silmarillion. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of a it's like a children's book, fairy tale type of book, and so the only reason that he had. Like, he wanted Gandalf to leave for a reason, so he just made up the whole idea of the necromancer just so that Gandalf would have a reason to leave. Yeah. So it wasn't in the book at all. But I think what Peter Jackson was trying to do with the Hobbit trilogy is he was just trying to tie it in with the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So, um, and the only thing that's actually has to do with the Lord of the Rings is the fact that there's the One Ring. Mm-hmm. But that's just a coincidence, I guess. So the, uh, the, uh... That battle that they do where the White Council attacks, that's just a, like a dot on a timeline. There's not like a written out story of what happened? No. Okay. Yeah, they just said they they like went to Dol Guldur and they found out it was Sauron and Sauron fled. Okay. So he uh, Sauron actually goes back to Mordor and um, and that was in the same year that Thorin Oakenshield and his dwarves uh, took back Erebor in the Battle of the Five Armies all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ten years later, while Sauron is back in Mordor and everything seems okay for a second, uh, Sauron actually declares himself openly as the Dark Lord once he is safely inside of Mordor. And he sends three of his Nazgul, one of them is uh, the second-in-command, Kamul the Easterling. Mm-hmm. Um, and they go to Dol Guldur and they take over that. And he begins to rebuild uh, Barad-dûr once more. And once it is complete, 
Mount Doom erupts, and the war is on horizon for Gondor and the free people of the West. South things are getting a little sticky here. Yeah. Yeah. So they just had the necromancer to deal with. He wasn't doing much. Now now there's actually a dark lord again. Yeah, what are they going to do? I don't know, man. So later on, about uh, 49 years later, in the year 3000, Saruman, who resides in the Tower of Orthanc, he has a palantir that was in uh, the tower, and he tries to read the mind of Sauron, who had another palantir. But Sauron had the greater power over Saruman, like he had greater master or mastery over sorcery. And so he actually enslaved Saruman to his will, and he became Saruman became actually one of his greatest allies, even though Saruman didn't mean to. Mm -hmm. He was trying to become his rival of sorts, but he actually became one of his allies. Mm -hmm. um, and then nine years later, three thousand nine, Gollum, as he's searching for Bilbo and the One Ring that Bilbo took from him, or just happened upon, mm -hmm. uh, Gollum enters Mordor because having carried the One Ring, which was the spirit of uh, Sauron essentially he is kind of drawn towards Mordor and so he finally enters Mordor and um, he's captured and tortured by the servants of Sauron and Sauron himself learns from him that Bilbo Baggins of the Shire has the one ring which he has so longed for and that's when the War of the Ring begins because Sauron sends out the Nazgul to capture Osgiliath and invade Gondor and that was what it was supposed to look like but the Nazgul once Osgiliath which is one of the old cities of Gondor. Um, once they actually take it over, they actually go north to look in the Gladden fields and look for where the Shire might be because they didn't know where it was. Mm -hmm. And so they pretty much used the invasion of Osgiliath as an undercover mission so they could look for in secret the ring. Because otherwise, if they just sent out the Nazgul to look around the lands, then people would be like, oh, Sauron's looking for something. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> that's what Sauron was doing. And... In the year 3018, this is pretty much the uh, the tale of the Lord of the Rings. This all, uh, like the journey of the Fellowship of the Ring mm -hmm. happens in 3018, and then it ends in 3019. So this is where I am at. Um, that's where you're at? That's where I'm at. Where am I at? Am I? Yeah, you're also there. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah, I just want to make sure. This is where we are all <laughs> okay. at. Yeah, right, so yeah. the uh, the Nazgul uh, finally learn that the One Ring, they finally find the Shire, and they're looking around, but they learn that the One Ring has departed from the Shire, and they frantically chase after Frodo, because if, he, if Frodo gets to Rivendell, then there might be some sort of lost hope there for the Nazgul, because then they would have failed their master pretty much, because Rivendell would have been very hard to uh, invade just for those Nazgul. Yeah. So um, Frodo actually does make it to Rivendell, as we all know. Mm -hmm. uh, good for him, good for him. Yeah. But um, uh, later on, as the Fellowship uh, goes down with the ring, um, and uh, when they defeat Saruman, uh, you'll see this in the Two Towers, when the Riders of Rohirrim defeat Saruman, and Gandalf is there as well, um, Grima Wormtongue actually throws the Palantir out trying to hit one of them. He was just trying to throw a heavy object out at them. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's when um, they come in contact with the Palantir. And Aragorn, after Pippin uses it foolishly. Yeah, uh, classic fo Pippin. Fool of a took. Um, he, uh, Aragorn actually takes it because it's his right to have the Palantir and use it um, as, a, as an heir of Isildur. Mm -hmm. And um, he, uh, he makes himself known to Sauron. And because Aragorn is the rightful user of the Palantir, he's not able to be corrupted like Saruman was. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, Aragorn makes himself known as the heir of Isildur, and he shows him the reforged sword of Narsil, now known as Enduril. And so Sauron becomes afraid because he's like, well, now the, re 
the king has returned mm-hmm. and the this, return of the king yeah and the sword that once cut off his finger with the ring on it is mm-hmm. reforged and so now sauron is really afraid because he sees that gandalf is also with them yeah and so uh sauron prematurely before his forces are completely ready he invades gondor uh just a little too early if he would have waited yeah. a little bit longer he might have won um but he did it a little bit too early and it gave the fellowship and you know rohan and gondor just enough edge just to beat them mm-hmm. and give frodo and sam enough time to get the ring to mordor um so it was good that aragorn did that and uh so um that actually because sauron sent out all his forces mordor was pretty much empty and which like i said allowed frodo and sam to walk across mordor without mm-hmm. being seen for the most part there were still orcs there but not a lot but like i said earlier they put the orc uh armor on yeah, that's true. Yeah, they yep. put Blended little, in. Just little like disguise. Baron and his dudes. Yeah, Baron and the dudes. <laughs> um, so uh, the great battle, uh, the Battle of Pelennor Fields, which was fought in front of Minas Tirith, um, Sauron lost that battle because Aragorn came up with the... Well, in the movie he came up with the ghosts, but that wasn't actually in the books. He just came up with, like... Uh, he came up with, like, some people that were from the coasts of... Uh, Gondor and then also some of his companions from the north mm-hmm. um, so anyway so Aragorn um, helps out there and then they uh, go to the Black Gate um, the entrance to Mordor and Sauron prepares his final attack and um, he gets all of the remaining orcs and trolls and everyone else the Nazgul are there as well on their on their flying fell beasts and um and pretty much Aragorn and Gandalf, their whole reasoning behind attacking the Black Gate up front, even though they didn't have a lot of people, mm-hmm. was just to distract Sauron away from Mount Doom so that Frodo could get there in time. Which was perfect timing. Yeah. They must have planned it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, but Frodo, silly little Frodo, he falls into temptation at the very last moment when he's in Mount Doom. You've probably seen it in the movie where he puts the ring on mm-hmm. when Gollum's trying to attack him. And that makes Sauron hyper-aware that Frodo is in Mount Doom with the One Ring and that it could be destroyed very easily, very soon. So he mm-hmm. sends the Nazgul as fast as they can on their, their wing steeds over to Mount Doom. And it, they were really fast. I think they got there like within like so, so many minutes or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it was really fast. Um, but they were too late, and uh, Frodo... With the help of Gollum, pretty much it was pretty much Gollum who destroyed it. But um, he bit his finger off. He bit his finger off. It was kind. Of, it's kind of ironic because Sauron lost the One Ring when his finger was cut off, and Frodo lost the One Ring, and it was destroyed because Gollum bit it off. And it's it's kind of because or like it makes sense because when you have the ring, the ring is power over you. You can't willingly give it up. Yeah. It needs to be like yeah. taken from you. Yeah. Well, right. Yeah. Like we said too in the Rings of Power episode, it can't, you can't willingly yourself take it off unless the ring has already given itself up on you, you mm-hmm. know, because it can decide whether it wants to leave you or not. Yeah. So that's pretty interesting. Um, so uh, Sauron did not expect, suspect that um, uh, they would actually want to destroy the ring. So when he found that out, he freaked out. And that's why he sent the Nazgul super fast. But like I said, it was too late, and um, Sauron's physical body, um, I'll get into this in a second, why he had a physical body in the Third Age, mm-hmm. and why it wasn't shown in the movies, 
but um, his physical body was destroyed, the Tower of Baradur was destroyed, and uh, most of his orcs were destroyed as well. And pretty much everything that was made with the One Ring was destroyed. because, And Sauron's spirit itself, too, um, was blown away even by a wind because he was so weak because all of his power he put into the One Ring. Mm-hmm. And now that that was destroyed, he was pretty much done for. But he's still in Middle-earth, though, as No, he's, he's in the Void. Oh, so now. he's also in the yeah. Void? The wind blew, because the wind came from Valinor, is what it says, and it mm-hmm. blew him into the void, and oh, okay. so now he's with his master, Morgoth. Mm-hmm. Two, just vibing. Two dark lords who failed. Um, two dark lords, chilling in a hot tub. <laughs> <laughs> chilling in the void. <laughs> in the void. Five feet apart, because they're not gay. <laughs> Anyways, um, so, uh, so like I said earlier, because Baradur... And Sauron's body was made with the One Ring. That's the reason why when the One Ring was destroyed, they were also destroyed. That's why you see the tower crumble when mm-hmm. the One Ring is destroyed. Um, and so um, what I wanted to say about Sauron's physical form in the Third Age is there's a interesting context clue in, um, I think it's in the Two Towers when uh, Frodo and Sam first meet Gollum and he becomes their guide through the Dead Marshes. Mm-hmm. Um Gollum talks a little bit about how he was captured by Sauron and tortured by Sauron. And he mentions the fact that um, that Sauron had, he called Sauron the Black Hand and that the Black Hand only had four fingers. Mm-hmm. And so that pretty much means that Sauron still had a physical form, but he still kept the four fingers instead of five. And so um, that's like a little context clue that Sauron still had a physical form. Whereas in the movies, they just kind of show Sauron as an eye. Mm-hmm. But um, I think somewhere Tolkien also wrote down that um, Saruman and Gandalf had a conversation about... It's not in any of the books. I know it's somewhere, though. Um, but they had a conversation about how um, Sauron did have a physical form during the War of the Ring, but he locked himself up in Baradur because he was afraid to go out to war again, like last time when a Sildor chopped off his finger mm-hmm. um so he stayed in Baradur. um but the eye of sauron was his astral pro- projection pretty much oh, okay so it was like it was him but it wasn't him you know mm-hmm. so he was able to see with it and see where the ring was when people put it on and all that sort of thing so um that's interesting to note sauron wasn't just an eye yeah he wasn't he wasn't reduced to nothing but an eye he was still a physical dark lord with the black armor on and stuff but um, he didn't come out of his fortress at all. So that was that, yeah. I feel like it makes it more menacing, though, in the movies when he's not shown in a physical form. Yeah. Because then you don't, as the viewer, you don't know, like, what it is. Yeah, that's true. Is. Yeah, because you only see him in the beginning of the um, the Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, in the flashback? Yeah, in the flashback. Like, the little intro, so. Also, I had a question. You said, so you said... Uh, Sauron became hyper aware of where the ring was when Frodo put it on in Mount Doom. Yeah. When he was about to when he was about to go down, um, you said he didn't realize that they were wanting to destroy the ring uh, right before then. Yeah. Well, he didn't know they were there uh, at first, but he thought that if anyone did find the One Ring, he he never would have thought that they wanted to destroy it because he in his head, the One Ring was like the ultimate you know, weapon of power. Okay. And, like, why would anyone want to destroy it when they could use it for themselves and replace him as the Dark Lord? So they, um, 
and so the fact that they were going to destroy it never crossed his mind and so when when he actually put it on in Mount Doom and he realized the ring was in Mount Doom then he realized oh they're going to destroy it so that's why he sent the Nazgul super fast so what did he did he or what did he think they were doing when they were uh, when Frodo and Sam were taking the ring to like because he obviously knew there was something going on with the ring that's why he sent them to the Nazgul to chase them did he have an idea of what they were doing with the ring, or did he just want to get it back? Um, he just thought that they were bringing it to Rivendell so that like people like Gandalf or Elrond could have it oh, and okay. use it as like a, a weapon. And mm-hmm. then even when um, Frodo and or Frodo is captured by the orcs in Kirith Ungol at mm-hmm. the very end of the Two Towers, um, and he gets the mithril coat from Frodo, mm-hmm. um, Sauron knows that it's it's one of the halflings, and he. Um, he doesn't think that they're there to destroy the ring, that they're trying to enter Mordor so they can bring the ring to the, the mountain. He just thinks that they're trying to spy on his land mm-hmm. and trying to figure out like where his armies are at and so, that sort of thing. So he doesn't even think that they're there to destroy the ring. He just thinks that they're just spies. Well, that's so, interesting. I never yeah. even Sar- realized that. Yeah. Sauron was just so focused on the fact that people would want to use the One Ring rather than destroy it and not replace him that mm-hmm. he just didn't even think that they were going to even try and it, especially a halfling yeah. you know two halflings so. that's interesting I never yeah. knew that yeah well. so that's uh, there's a lot of stuff that happens in the Third Age because that's pretty much what the whole Third Age is about is battle against Sauron even the Second Age too mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff with Sauron but um, so he's a pretty big bad guy yeah, so out of between the two Dark Lords, which one do you think was the baddest? Morgoth, definitely. Morgoth? Yeah. Sauron just had a Well, no. Uh, Morgoth, because they talk about Morgoth pretty much just in the first age, but there's also Morgoth had from the beginning was a Dark Lord, like from the mm-hmm. very beginning, and then thousands and thousands of years before the first age. It was like the years of the two trees or the years of the mm-hmm. lamps, and those were thousands and thousands of years, so Morgoth actually had a longer reign. Yeah. of being the Dark Lord of Middle-earth than Sauron did. Also, he had more power, and he had a lot more... He had a bigger army, bigger fortress, that sort of stuff like that. Because he started out as a Valar, and yeah. Sauron was only a Maya. Yeah. Or Maya, or whatever. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so Morgoth, definitely. Also, Morgoth, I think, just was cool. <laughs> yeah, he's just cool. Yeah. It was a I cooler mean, name, too. Yeah, Morgoth... More black, more black, more goth, more goth. Um, he also, I like, I like how he had an iron crown too with mm-hmm. the three Silmarils in it, whereas Sauron just had black armor, so mm-hmm. he wasn't as cool. Yeah, he didn't have the swag. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't have the bling. He didn't have no. the ice. He didn't have the ice, <laughs> which is yeah. why he failed. Yeah, that's yeah. another life lesson uh, for all the listeners out there. You gotta have the ice. You gotta have the mm-hmm. swag to succeed in life. Yeah, that was Sauron's <laughs> only mistake. Yeah. He didn't get swagged up. No, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, that's all, that's all we got about Sauron. So, thank you for listening to this episode. You can listen to last episode from Morgoth, so it's like kind of like a two-parter. A little two-parter, yeah. Both the bad, bad guys, big bad guys. Big baddies. But, yeah, so that's all we got about Sauron. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, thank you for listening. Uh, sorry Zach wasn't here, but um, you guys probably missed him more than you liked listening to us, so... Yeah, he was here in spirit, though. Yeah, he was. Um, Yeah, thank you for listening, and enjoy the rest of your week. (laughs) Yeah, see you guys later.
everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of Exploring Middle Earth. Grant and I had a great time making it, and we hope you enjoyed listening to it as well. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to support us, there's two ways you can do that. One way is to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. This helps a lot because it builds up our reputation. You can also share this episode or the podcast with your friends. You can find us on Instagram at exploringmiddle underscore earth or on Twitter at expmiddleearth, where we will post updates and behind-the-scenes pictures. The link to both of those accounts and the email where you can contact us at will be in the show notes. Each episode goes up every other Monday, so episode 7 will be up on October 11th. That episode will cover the tale of Baron and Luthien, so be on the lookout for that. This episode will be released on September 27th. A few days before that was September 22nd, which is Hobbit Day, so we hope you had a great Hobbit Day. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.